I'm going to try this down here. Um, there's a theology of this, and that is that in New England, where I grew up, the, in many of the congregational churches, the pulpit is way high up. I've preached there a few times. It's like 10 steps up. They wanted, the theology was, they wanted the word of God to be exalted and high and lifted up. For many of us, and my tradition is more, I want the word of God to be right in our lives. So I'm going to come down to y'all, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring it down here. I hope you uh, will follow up. We're going to turn to Philippians chapter 1 again. We're going to begin at verse 12. And we're going to look at perspective this morning. Perspective um, says life is not what happens to us. Life is uh, how we interpret what happens to us. It's not about what happens to us. It's about how we interpret what happens to us. I was in a McDonald's one time, I confess, I, I ordered a cherry pie. They're special in some time of the year. They had cherry pie. I ordered a cherry pie. While I'm eating the cherry pie, there's a cherry pit in there. Now, I don't know what your response would be. Would you take it back to the manager and say, hey, there's a cherry pit in here? My thought was, there must have been a real cherry involved in this cherry pie at some <laughs> point at McDonald's. Okay? Well, it depends on your perspective. I was playing golf one time, and they... The fellow, the golfer that was ahead of me in the group ahead of me was uh, on his phone, sitting on his cart, waiting to tee off at the next hole. And obviously, while he was on his phone, he was doing business. He was doing work. And I thought, that poor guy. When I play golf, I want to get away from work. He's out there trying to work while he's playing golf. And the guy I was with said, yeah, but his perspective was he gets to play golf while he works. See, it's all in perspective. So we want to talk about perspective this morning because our passage this morning says how we respond to trouble that comes in our lives depends on our perspective. Here's the question. Can being in prison or dying ever be good? Well, let's look at it. Paul and Silas began the church Plant, they planted the church in Philippi, and they began by being thrown into prison. Stories in Acts chapter 16, there was a slave girl who had a spirit of divination, and, and she was following them around. And she was saying, this, this uh, spirit that was in this girl was saying of Paul and Silas, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. True, right? Totally true, but it's coming from a, an evil source. And Paul did not like that, and he rejected it, and he commanded in the name of Jesus for the Spirit to come out of her, and immediately the Spirit came out of her. Now, there was a slight problem with that, was that she was owned by a, a group of men who they were getting their income from her being able to do this. So they, uh, their income went away. They dragged Paul and Silas into court, for disturbing the peace, and the ruling was that Paul and Silas were to be beaten. They were thrown into prison, the inner prison, and their feet were put in stocks. At midnight, they were singing hymns, and an earthquake took place. Now, I don't know how well Paul sung, 
sang. I don't know how well Paul sang, but uh, maybe it was so bad that it caused the earthquake. I, I don't know. But the timing of it was that when the earthquake happened, all the chains fell off of the prisoners, all the prisoners, and the doors of the prison were thrown open. And the jailer thought that everybody had escaped or, or would escape. And so he came in ready to kill himself. And Paul said, we're all here. What must I do? The jailer said, well, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, you probably, many of you know the verse, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The next day, Paul and Silas were freed. They went and said goodbye to the church that they had started. And then they left the city. Now, this letter that he's writing is 10 years after that. And the church in Philippi has heard that oh, Paul's in prison again. He was the one who brought them the gospel. He was the, the great evangelist, the apostle who's writing so much of the New Testament. What's going to happen to the gospel if Paul's in prison? And so Paul begins to answer that as we pick it up in chapter 1, verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So Paul's uh, in, in prison again, but he wants them to know that, that being in prison has actually served to advance the gospel. The whole imperial guard knew that Paul, this, this prisoner is different than all the other prisoners. This prisoner is there because of Christ, because of his testimony for Christ. He's not a criminal. His testimony was that his faith was real. Because when we go through hard times, difficult times, being in prison would certainly be a difficult time. If our faith holds true, that means the faith is real. It wasn't just something that we had temporarily. So uh, verse 14 says, in fact, most of the brothers in the Lord, they were, they were made bold by the fact that Paul was in prison and still was faithful to his faith in Jesus Christ. So they were speaking the word of God now without fear. Didn't, didn't bother them at all. And some others were doing it because they think they could make Paul feel bad that, look at, they're doing it while I'm not able to do that. But that didn't bother Paul at all either. Um, in every way, verse 18 says, in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached and I rejoice. The true gospel was going out through these guys, but they were doing it with the wrong motives. And Paul says, as long as the gospel's going out, I'm okay with that. In fact, he said, I rejoice with that. The, the gospel is advancing. So Paul's perspective is, being in prison, since the advance of the gospel is the most important thing to him, he rejoices even though he's in prison because the gospel is going forward. Um, it implies that the people in church uh, in Philippi should rejoice too. So the big picture is not how or where I am, but the big picture is the perspective that Paul had was as long as the gospel is advancing, I'm good with that. I rejoice in that. 
In fact, he says the gospel is not only not hindered, it's actually going forward even more while Paul was in prison. And so he was rejoicing in that. I think for many people, and I say many people, I'm referring to the people out there, not, not y'all. I'm referring to the people out there. For many people, our perspective is that I want to be happy. I want to be comfortable in life. I, I want to avoid pain. I want to have life easy. So if anything interrupts that, if anything blocks that, it's blocking my happiness. It's blocking my, my comfort. And so when, when, when that's our perspective, then we look at trials like prison, like sickness, like an accident, like cancer, like a lost job, like unexpected debt. And we would say, okay, those are really bad things that are happening to people. Paul says they are not so much problems as they are platforms. They're not problems. They're, they're platforms for God to use. So he's saying, instead of being in prison, being in prison, instead of it being a problem, it's actually a platform that God is using to advance the gospel. And since Paul wants the gospel advanced, he's okay with that. He rejoices even though he's in prison. Several years ago, I had a heart attack. A myocardial infarction, I found out, is the actual technical name for it. So, okay, I'm in the hospital, and I'm thinking, well, I'm in the hospital with a roommate who has also had a heart attack. I need to be witness to him to show him that faith in Jesus makes a difference in how I handle the trouble of having a heart attack. That, that was what was on my mind. The problem was I was in French Canada. No speak the English, okay? So how in the world am I supposed to witness to this guy who's sleeping in the... In the, in the same room, how am I supposed to do that when he doesn't understand English and I can't speak enough French to be able to communicate to him about my faith in Jesus? This was one of the most remarkable experiences of my life. On Sunday morning, heart attack was on Thursday, I was in the hospital on Sunday morning, all in French Canada, I heard on the loudspeaker out in the hall, be still and know that I am God. From Psalm 46.10. God was saying to me, John, I know where you are. I know what's happened. Just be still. I got this under control. One of the most amazing experiences of my life. My job was to be still. All right, but what about if Paul dies? You see, he's in prison in Rome. He's waiting for trial before Caesar. The result of that trial, he could be freed or he could be executed. And probably the Philippian church is concerned. Yeah, but what if Paul's executed? Well, let's pick it up, the second part of verse 18. Paul says, yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and will continue with, here's the phrase again, you all, that we saw last week, 
for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Through your prayers, Paul says, and the help of the Spirit, I know this will turn out for my deliverance. What is Paul's main concern as he thinks about the judgment that may come down from Caesar that he may be executed? What's his main concern? That I will not be at all ashamed. Ashamed would be giving up the faith when facing death. He says, I might be executed and I might be delivered, but either way, I'm okay. He doesn't know which way it's going to go, by death or being released. But his prayer is that Christ will be honored in my body either way, by life or by death. I don't know about you, I would choose for Paul life. I would choose that that would be my choice out of those two options. I would rather that he be released, that he be able to continue as an apostle and as an evangelist, but by God's grace and in the word of God, he doesn't think like me. Or like probably most of you, because you would probably choose the same thing. Paul says in verse 21, a verse that's very well known, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What can that mean? If to live is Christ... To die can only be gained by being more of Christ, being in the presence of Christ, being in his presence. If I live full courage for bearing fruit, if I die, I want to be with Christ. I will be with Christ. And that is better by far. Let me say that again. Dying and being with Christ, Paul says, is better by far. By God's grace, I had this chapter memorized when I was in the hospital after my heart attack, and that verse just kept coming to me. I don't know how this is going to go, but if it, if it means that I'm going to go and be with Christ, that is, what is it? Better by far. Better by far. If I live full courage for, for more fruit, Paul says, uh, I, I'm hard-pressed. I'm pulled in, in two different directions, opposite directions. I'm pulled strongly in opposite directions is the idea of it. He says, I think I'm going to stay, though, because I want to stay for your account, for your progress and joy in the faith, because he knows if he gets released and he comes back to Philippi, he says, you will have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. They will, they will celebrate. Can you imagine <laughs> knowing what Paul has gone through and he walks in for a Sunday morning service? Can you imagine what that would be like for them? So Paul faces the truth. He's not afraid of the truth. He might be executed. But what is most important to him, that he not be ashamed, that he hold to his faith and that he would continue to bear fruit for the Philippian church. So the context here in the, the big picture of what's going on in the church is if they had that perspective, they wouldn't be sitting on opposite sides of the service anymore. They would be united together. They would be one together. Whatever the cause for the division is, if their perspective is that the advance of the gospel and the glory of Jesus Christ is the most important than whether Paul lives or dies. He wants them to be united, to be brought back together. Being in prison is terrible. Being executed is terribler. My spell checker kicked that one out. Uh, but there it is. But either one is okay with Paul as long as he's with Christ, as long as it exalts Christ. I would guess you're much like me in this, that many times I look at a situation and I think I know what would be best. Now, I got to be careful of that because 
selfishly, I think, okay, here's a person who's sick and I care about them and, and I'd really like them to be healed. That would be my selfish reason, my, my selfish thinking on it. But then I think, okay, really, what, what would God want? And I think, I know what would be best for God. What would be best for God would be for him to raise that person back up and, and, and uh, keep them alive. And that would bring him glory. And, and the people around him who knew that the person was sick and, and almost died, if God would raise them back, that would give him glory. So that would still be the best, that God would raise them up. The problem is, I think of it as that my thinking is like a box of options. So I, I have this, uh, this box, and, and all the options that I can think of are in this box. Um, so what, what could happen? The person gets COVID on top of pneumonia and dies, or somebody loses their job and they can't find. My box of options for what could, how this could work out, my box is not very big. What I have learned is, <laughs> you can guess, right? God has a bigger box of options. I want you to picture this. God has way more options than I will ever think of in my, in my tiny, human, limited, finite brain. Um, he knows, out of all the options that he has, he knows which one works out best for his purposes. When I was in Bible school, I know, it was before the turn of the millennium. Long, anyway, um, when I was in Bible school, I ran out of toothpaste. Now, I was 1,800 miles from home. I phoned home once a month, sometimes, because, and I get a letter from my mother every week, but I ran out of toothpaste. What am I supposed to do? I went to my mailbox, opened up the mailbox. There's no money in the mailbox. I thought, now what am I supposed to do? I, I've run out of toothpaste, and God, you didn't provide the money for me to go buy toothpaste. So I went back to my roommate, and I complained to my roommate, and I said, God didn't come through. He didn't provide money so I could go buy toothpaste. My roommate said, why don't you use mine? You see, God had an option. Wasn't even in my head. Wasn't even in my brain. He had so much bigger a box of options of the ways that he could provide, and he had another way to provide. People in Philippi were afraid that the gospel would stop if Paul's in prison or if Paul is executed. It's four years ago next month that Billy Graham died. Did the gospel stop around the world when Billy Graham died? Last year, in 2021, here are some of the ones who died. David Yongji Cho, the pastor of the world's largest church in South Korea, died. Evangelists Bill Glass and Louis Palau both died last year. Marcus Lamb, the founder and president of Daystar TV. Marilyn Laszlo, the Bible translator, died. Will the gospel still go forward even though these have died? I'll give you a clue. The answer has three letters. The gospel is still going to go forward because the gospel advance is more about you and me telling somebody around us than it is necessarily about somebody um, preaching, preaching before thousands of people. It's more about us telling the gospel to our neighbor, to our coworker, to our family member, Paul knows, he's convinced that even though he's in prison or even if he's executed, the gospel is going to continue to advance. And since that's his heart goal, he's okay with God's bigger box for God to work it out the way that God wants to work it out. God has this bigger box to accomplish things. So again, Philippian church, 
Come together, unite, get together to advance the gospel. It doesn't have to be Paul. So the conclusion, the application, beginning in verse 27. You following me here? Verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. His conclusion is this, what I want for you, no matter what happens to me, I want you to put the gospel on one side of the balance, and I want, to put, put, I want you to put your lives on the other side, and I want them to be balanced. I want you to live, you're living up to be worthy of the message of the gospel. How would you do that? By standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. My friends of Grace Free Family, we are not promised that we will have a life of happiness or ease or of comfort. Instead, the verse says, it has been granted to you. Now, we love this. It's been granted to you to have faith, to believe in Jesus Christ. It has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but you should also, what's it say? Suffer for his sake. It has been granted to you, the faith in Jesus Christ, but it has also been granted to you and to me to suffer for the sake of Jesus Christ, engaged in the same conflict that, that, we saw, that you saw Paul had, and now hear that, I, that he still has. We like this, being granted faith to believe in Jesus, don't we? I don't know if we're so sure about liking being granted uh, to suffer in order to proclaim Christ. But again, what I want to say to us is God has a bigger box. He understands so much more of what he's trying to accomplish. So Paul's conclusion is prison is not a problem. It's a platform for the gospel to advance. If not through Paul, then it will be through others. Death being executed is not a problem. It's a platform for the message of the gospel. If the gospel is our priority then our perspective is that what happens is not a problem. Whatever happens in our life is an opportunity, is a platform for the gospel to go forward. Because God has what? A bigger box. Has a bigger box. Much bigger than we do. The implications for us have to do with our perspective. Will we see, will I see in my life, will I see that whatever happens in my life, whatever happens to me, it's not a problem. It's a platform for God. My job, my marriage, sickness, home, kids, neighbors, life, all of those, whatever we look at, it's not a problem to God. It's a platform for God because he has a bigger box. Right now, Linda and I are waiting for a call from a surgeon at Cleveland Clinic. They are scheduling a heart surgery for her. We could get that call. It is our impression we could get that call any day, but sometime in the next three months. 
if you would pray for us about this, pray for us that we will look at this as a platform and not as a problem. That's our desire. We want to believe that that the things that we say we believe, that when the time comes, we will continue to believe them. I don't want to be ashamed of my faith. If my life is about Jesus today, then dying is being with Jesus even more. The church is united in our destiny. 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. Now we are children of God. and What we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Why? Read it. For we shall see him as he is. God has a bigger box of options than I will ever think of. You know, we should probably figure that out by reading through the Bible. I just finished this week, I, I finished the book of Genesis this week, my, my read through the Bible for the year, and I was, I was blown away anew by the stories of Jacob and Joseph. You know, one of the things about it was when, when Joseph was betrayed by his brothers and, and he was sold, they went back and told their dad and brought back the coat of many colors that he had been killed. And so all for the next 20 years, Jacob is under the impression that Joseph is dead. And all that time, God knew that he wasn't. And what struck me was God never did tell Jacob that Joseph was still alive. He let him think for 20 years that Joseph was dead. And then, you know, look what God did with it. I was was just overcome with emotions reading about Joseph revealing himself to his brothers and telling them that that he forgave them. And then the brothers (laughs) go back to their dad. And you know, the last thing Joseph said to him when they left to go back to see their dad, don't argue on the way. That would sure be a, a temptation for them. Hey, it was your fault. It was your fault. No, it was your fault. They got back and then they told Jacob that Joseph was still alive and he's the ruler in Egypt. Can you imagine what Jacob, I mean, the scripture says it, but just put yourself in Jacob's position when they come back and say, Joseph, you thought he was dead. We thought we sold him as a slave. He's alive and he's the ruler in Egypt. Because God has so much bigger a box. David and Goliath, I don't know if I would have done it that way, but God had a bigger box. He had a different way of doing it. And David went out and was the one instead of the whole army to take on Goliath. God brought uh, Moses to, uh, to the Red Sea. And here's the Red Sea in front of them. And here's the Egyptian army behind them. I don't know what options I would have. I think rapture would be one of the ones that I would think of at that point. God opened up the Red Sea so they could walk through. And then just coincidentally, after they were all through and the Egyptian army came through, just coincidentally then the Red Sea closed on over them. And God delivered them. He has so many more options, friends, for what he's going to do, for what is good. And um, Jesus, another option, Jesus did not heal. He let Lazarus die because God had an option that none of us would think of. He was going to raise him from the dead. My box would never think of God the Father sending God the Son to the earth as a baby. My box would never think, why in the world would God want to rescue sinners? But he does. Why would he want to? But why would he want to rescue sinners by having his son betrayed? 
be judged guilty when, when he was innocent, be beaten, be treated as a criminal, be nailed to the cross and buried to prove that he was dead. It's not in my box of options for, how, for, for God to save people that way. There's got to be another way. I'm, I, but God has a bigger box of options. Do I want God to be glorified? Do I want him to be the one that, that receives the, the credit for it? Do I want it to be about him and not about me? Um, do I want the gospel to go forward more than my comfort or ease or health? I, I want to I trust him. I want to trust him. And I want to trust that what he's doing may not even be about me. What he's doing may be about the people who are around me, maybe about the people who are seeing me, maybe about our neighbors at, at, our, at our condo corner uh, for, for what we're going through. It may be about what he wants them to see, what he wants them to witness so that, they will, so that he can answer our prayers for their salvation. God is going to do it for the three G's. He's going to do it for his glory. He's going to do it to advance the gospel. And he's also going to do it for our good. Romans 8.28, probably most of you know this. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Why does God do what he does, the way he does it, when he does it? I'll ask that question again. Why does God do what he does, the way he does, when he does it? That's a question that as a pastor I have been asked so many times in my life. Why did God do this? And so I set out to begin to try to read through Scripture and say, okay, sometimes in Scripture it explains why God does what he does. I'm going to keep track of those. The first one I see is in Genesis 1, 27 and 28. There it is. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Question for you. What were they to fill the earth with? Those online, speak up at this point. Okay. <laughs> what was he to fill the earth with? Yeah, Children, but his image. Do you see that? He created them in his image, and then he says, now, take that image and fill the earth with that image. Well, then we know what happened in chapter 3. They disobeyed, and that, that image was messed up in the man, and it was changed. And so what is God doing now? Well, he's changing his people to be, go through different things in our lives so that he can form the image of Jesus Christ in us. And then he tells us in Matthew 28 and in Mark 16, he says, now go. Take that message throughout the ends of the earth. The original plan of filling the earth with the image of God is to be fulfilled through those who are in Christ, who are being made in his image. So he weaves the tapestry so that I, he weaves the events in my life like a tapestry so that I'm going to turn out to be like Jesus. And then I am to go wherever I go and fill the earth with his image. When I've done this study, there's one more I got to stick in here. When I've done this study, what I concluded is that the climax of all the explanations of why God does what he does is in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 9. Because of his great love for us, 
God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Next slide, please. In order that, so, so here's, the, here's the key phrase, in order that. This is why God did the gospel. This is why God, in his rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. This is why he did all of this. In order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of what? What's it say? He might show the incomparable riches of what? His grace. His grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. God does what he does. If the whole Bible really is about the the redemption of human beings and that redemption comes through the message of the gospel, why did God do the gospel? He did it to show that he is gracious. Now, if God wants to demonstrate that he's gracious, what does that take from us? If God wants to show that he's strong, what would that take from us? What would it take that we would have to be weak? If God wants to show that he's loving, what would that have take from us? We'd have to be unlovable. What would it take from us to show that God is gracious? We'd have to be sinners. I can qualify for that. I can qualify to show that God is gracious. And if that's why God does what he does, my friends, (laughs) he has a bigger box. And the reason he has the bigger box is to show sinners that he is gracious. And that's why we're saved by grace. Even the faith is given to us. We're saved by grace because God has a bigger box. And those things that come into our lives, if our perspective is God's working this and he wants me to see it as a platform for his glory, for his purposes, instead of a problem for me. I want you to um, decide this morning. It's an invitation, sort of. I mean, it is an invitation. Would you want to say that to God this morning? Would you want to raise your hand and say to God, God, I want the perspective of seeing everything that comes into my life as your platform, not as my problem. If you would do that and raise your hand, I want to pray for you this morning. Father, we trust you. Help me, help my friends here to see my life, to see everything that happens in my life as a platform to use for my good, to advance the gospel, and for your glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said,